Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? Hey, Billy, man. Yeah, uh, it's going well. Uh, coming off of a good weekend, uh, restful, had a lot of reading time, uh, interrupted by family every now and then, but, you know, what 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 can we do about that? <laughs> so, um, other than you're just reading a lot, I didn't do much. No exercise, just sitting there, you know, getting fat. <laughs> no, I'm trying to keep healthy, but you know, uh, there's so much comics to read. You know, you can't do it while you're jogging. You can't do it while you're in the gym, just getting sweat all over the comics. Damn, no, I'd rather kill myself. So, well, going to the gym at this mm-hmm. point in time would be tantamount to murdering myself, I guess. <laughs> How about you, man? How was your recent uh, vacation that you had? Uh, too short, but I did spend it uh, eating a lot, just like you said, and then uh, reading and buying a lot of comics as well. I've been going on an eBay spree, and it's helping to keep my sanity, that and podcasting. So. I will continue to do so. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, um, normally we do this at the end of the show, but I'm going to mention it now. I, I listened to your recent magazines and monsters. Well, you had two recent ones, right? One we did on Salem's Lot, the the mm-hmm. TV movie based off of Stephen King's book, and then you did one with Karen Walker. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That was a good one. Yeah, we talked about a crazy little 1960s sci-fi film, uh, British sci-fi film that was really hard to get a hold of. But I'd seen it a couple of years ago and thought it was pretty cool. And I know she's a humongous sci-fi fan like yourself. So I thought, oh, I bet she would find this film interesting. I want to talk about it. So, yeah, Unearthly Stranger, it's called, from 1964. So if you can find it, look it up. I think the only DVD that was ever released is a Region 2. So if you have a Region 3 DVD player, you're in luck. But if not, you're screwed. So don't buy the DVD. Exactly, dude. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode, even though I'm one of those folks who have not seen this movie yet. But Unearthly Stranger, Billy, sci-fi from the 1950s, does that have anything to do with what we're going to be talking about today on All-Star Squadron? Mm, sort of, maybe. In like a, <laughs> Come on, Billy. Way, but... <laughs> Unearthly Stranger, sci-fi. <laughs> Aliens, it has everything to do <laughs> with it. That's why I'm mentioning this at the beginning of the show because, you know, mm-hmm. this time around we're dealing with some pretty freaky stuff from uh, the pen of Roy or the typewriter of Roy Thomas here. Um, great art by Adrian Gonzalez again, but it doesn't have a lot of um, war-related events other than, you know, Germans and Italians and the Japanese and even the Americans um, getting the snot kicked out of them. <laughs> by an alien <laughs> spacecraft and an unearthly visitor. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, an Earth, a UFO that looks like a giant eyeball. It's oh, great. yeah, no, not my favorite. Ugh. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, but still, it didn't give me that that uh, goosebumps that I normally get when I, you know, have, uh, look at organic eyes. You know, robotic eyes are fine, unless it's the eye of Agamotto. You know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not robotic, but it's it's definitely, you know, that gives me the creeps. But, you know, in this case, though, Billy, I think uh, we we won't be uh, wrong if we reference to the listeners movies like uh, the, the 1950s sci-fi that Roy Thomas obviously grew up on, specifically stuff like mm-hmm. The Day the Earth Stood Still, you know, mm-hmm. with the alien Klaatu arriving and giving a bit of an ultimatum to the Earth, right, to, to shape up because they're mm-hmm. destroying the planet. And this is something similar. So this obviously inspired Roy Thomas to write these two issues. Well, actually, it's three issues. We're going to 
leave you a bit uh, in a lurch, listeners, because at the end of issue 11, we're discussing issue 10 and 11 of All-Star Squadron this week. At the end of issue mm-hmm. 11, the story still continues into issue 12, right, Billy? So we're going to have to right. leave you guys on a bit of a cliffhanger. But um, we'll get to it, right? And in two weeks' time, we'll be back and quickly conclude this storyline, which I quite enjoyed, right, Billy? I don't know about you. What did you think about this this uh, unexpected story of an alien invasion of Earth? Well, you know, we'll, we'll find out it's not completely what it appears to be. R- right smack dab in the middle of World War II. What did you think of this story by Roy? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I like the fact that, you know, some issues of All-Star Squadron are very heavily influenced by World War II, but then sometimes they're not. It's just more in the backdrop while crazy stuff is happening to them. And this is one of those stories, like you said, where it's something crazy like an alien. We'll use air quotes there uh, for now. But, you know, having World War II in the backdrop and that up front is fun too. So I like it quite a bit. This was two really fun issues. Yeah, man, we're going to be going in depth. But first, um, I'll give you guys the specs on uh, All-Star Squadron... uh, issue 10 which is the first one we're, we're going to be talking about now as you remember listeners um during our last episode we discussed commander steel joining the all-star squadron and yet another assassination attempt um obviously targeting winston churchill and fdr franklin delano roosevelt in the white house because after all churchill is in the states for the arcadia conference where they're going to discuss the future of um, how they're going to be conducting the war as allies or as uh, mm-hmm. Church, uh, as FDR puts it in this issue, which is historically accurate, the United Nations, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which would become yep. a much bigger thing later on. But yeah, they're they don't they're not very happy with the name they've chosen for themselves, just the Allies, right? But um, mm-hmm. that's the name that would historically stick to 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 the good guys in World War II. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. um, in All Star Squadron issue ten was uh, cover dated June nineteen eighty two. On sale March twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two. Right, believe price sixty cents. Mm-hmm. Page count thirty two. Edited by one of our favorites, Len Wein, of course. Again, another fantastic cover by Joe Kubert. Mm-hmm. Um, and the title of the story is "If and I Offend Thee." <laughs> and of course, we know the rest of that. Pluck it out. <laughs> but this does not happen. It's not. It, it never gets plucked out, listeners. This eye just continues mm-hmm. to offend. <laughs> it just continues mm-hmm. all over the world to offend, specifically the world leaders like Hitler, which which I quite like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then of course, uh, you know, writer Roy Thomas, penciled by Adrian Gonzalez, with the. Uh, Amazing Jerry Ordway on inks, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Carl Gafford. And uh, you could read this in Showcase Presents, right, Billy? All-Star Squadron Volume 1, Showcase Presents from 2012. We're reading Mm -hmm. it in the original issues. It is available on DC uh, Comixology and the DC app. So I think the DC app is now called DC Universe or what? I've forgotten. I'm not subscribing to that now. I'm just getting everything that I need from my back issues and from Comixology if, if I'm in a pinch. Um, mm-hmm. Are you at all subscribed to any online, you know, digital platforms, Billy, for reading comics? I am not. And I will tell you that I almost subscribed when they used to have everything all on one uh, service. 
I'm pretty sure they did. Didn't they have all the mil- like movies, animation, and comics? Didn't that used to be all on one app for DC? Yeah, yeah. When the, it first started? Yeah. It wasn't available over here, but um, it was. Yeah, they'd had everything, and now they've, that's gone yeah. the way of the Dodo, I think. So, yeah, that would have been mm-hmm. worth it trying to, for me, too. Yeah, they're trying to push all the, you know, digital media or the... the, the the movies and that stuff onto the what is it like hbo max or whatever which it drives me crazy because i did think oh wow i think i'm gonna break down and get this dc app because for me it was worth it to have everything you know they owned under one umbrella and now that they kind of i think split them up i'm just like forget it yeah <laughs> i'm not doing it <laughs> yeah i know what you mean dude no i'm a, i'm not a fan of digital reading but i am a fan of using digital while podcasting because it's nice having mm-hmm. it you know i don't like the sound of of pages being turned and hitting the mic <laughs> every now and then but <laughs> I do do that sometimes but I like to sometimes just have you know I will screenshot some pages from my issue and put it on my on my iPad so it's easy to uh-huh. scroll down panels that you know we're discussing um, yeah. or I will you know I've scanned in quite a bit of my collection um, mm-hmm. for posterity's sake but um, you know I, I really don't like to page through a book while we're podcasting my mic needs to be close to my face <laughs> it kind of makes it troublesome but you know um uh you know we're reading it in the original issues and uh, that's the way i like to Mm -hmm. read them i like the smell of the paper i like the 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 look of the the art fade slowly fading away over time (laughs) it it takes me back so you know billy you're going to be doing the synopsis for issue 10 Mm -hmm. so uh let's roll with that all right so the issue begins with hawkman flying over san francisco He sees a squadron of B-17s flying by, get attacked by a UFO. One of the pilots is none other than Ted Knight, a.k.a. Starman. He sees the UFO attacking the bombers and decides to don his costume and fight. Neither he nor Hawkman can stop the alien ship, but it leaves on its own after dropping a dead body out of the hatch. Meanwhile, over at Washington, D.C., Johnny Quick, Sir Justin, and Hawkgirl stop some German saboteurs from blowing up the Washington Monument. Over on an island in the Pacific, Dr. Midnight and some troops fend off a Japanese attack, but that same aforementioned UFO shows up and attacks these planes as well. Back over at the White House, Liberty Bell, the Atom, and FDR have a conversation with a half-naked Winston Churchill about the partnership (laughs) with the U.S. and Great Britain. After a quick peek at the Crimean Peninsula and another attack by the UFO, we see it then turns its attention to Washington, D.C. And after laying all motorized vehicles, robot man, and steel low, it finally lands, and a strange alien then announces that he has arrived to subjugate the entire planet. All right, Herman, what'd you think of this one? Okay, man, okay. I understand that some people, especially, well... I don't know who, because I've never had much online discussion <laughs> about All-Star Squadron before we started the podcast, right, Billy? But with among my friends, when I was reading All-Star Squadron as a kid, uh, none of them were, th- were reading it, by the way. I always had to sort of lend it to them or, you know, they would always read my comics and borrow it, which drives me nuts, you know, that <laughs> they never invested <laughs> in their own comics but always wanted to borrow mine. But, you know, among those mates that I discussed All-Star Squadron with, they didn't like these two issues because they were in it for war stories. They wanted to see the All-Star Squadron take on Nazis, kill Japanese, you know, all of that kind of thing. So here we've got 
well, I, I would say this is sort of um, early, you know, inspiration maybe for Alan Moore on, on, on Watchmen, because think about it, Billy, what is better to unite the warring governments of the earth than an alien threat, right? That's basically the, the premise mm-hmm. of, of Watchmen at the very end, or the plan of Ozymandias, right, in Watchmen. Yep. But this is nothing mm-hmm. new. This isn't from Alan Moore's mind. I mean, Alan Moore is a brilliant writer, but he, you know, most of his concepts came from pre-existing ideas, right? Like like most mm-hmm. creative endeavors, I think, you know, you can never like sure. pin an idea down and say this is completely original. But, you know, in terms of um, this, this is definitely an idea that was generated in the 1950s in the Cold War, you know, between the States and Russia. And, you know, they were wondering, like, what could unite us? What could bridge this huge gap between Russia and, and the West? Now, in World War II, they, 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 that was much less of a, a concern because there was such a clear you know, uh, demarcation between good and bad, right, Billy, about about the infringement of human rights from the Axis powers and about the, the you know, the uh, uh, how they revered human life over on the Allied side. So, you know, uh, there was a clear line between good and bad. But, you know, in the Cold War, it wasn't always apparent, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, what would bring people together? An, an external threat, you know, a third party that entered, that threatened the whole Earth. That is something that could bring the earth together and that's why there was something like the movies like the day the earth stood still that we mentioned before you know right which is one of my favorite sci-fi movies from the 1950s just because for what it says about humanity and how we react you know so mm-hmm. and i love i love that roy put this in there because this is sort of like making you think what would happen if in this extreme situation where the entire earth is involved in this global conflict resources are stretched thin Everybody's at the breaking point psychologically and physically, and suddenly there's this threat that shows up from outer space that now says, okay, <laughs> you've got bigger things to worry about than your petty squabbles. <laughs> <laughs> you've got me to worry about. And it's this star smasher, right? In this giant mm-hmm. flying UFO shaped like an eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Billy, uh, very interesting um I understand why my friends didn't like it, but I was immediately enraptured by this storyline because it was something new. And in, in fact, it did involve Churchill and Roosevelt directly, and it still, and it even in, involved all the other world leaders. You know, mm-hmm. Tojo over in Japan, Hitler, mm-hmm. Mussolini, you know, Stalin, mm-hmm. and then even Chiang Kai-shek from the China, uh, you know, Chinese nationalists. They were all, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shown to have an encounter with this alien being who gave them this uh, ultimatum. Yeah. So, man, I, I love the premise. But, you know, in fact, we should mention Roy did do something similar before, although it's not completely, you know, um, it doesn't share a lot of similarities, actually. But I should mention this because, uh, Billy, you remember we talked about the Churchill assassination in previous episodes and that... Roy actually did something like that in the the pages of the Invaders over at Marvel. Well, mm-hmm. he did do something like this specifically in Invaders number thirty, where it was this this Teutonic knight, you know, who showed up uh, in a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> now, this will only become apparent. The similarities will only become apparent once we discuss issue eleven and and eventually issue twelve. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, you know, there's no Teutonic Knight, there's definitely something other than an alien involved, not just an alien involved, right? But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. So my point is, I love this the, these two issues and issue 12. It's like a three-issue arc, right, Billy? Mm-hmm. 
and it, yeah. it pays hom- homage to the old Justice Society, specifically Flash Comics number one. Um, but we'll also talk about that a little bit later on. So Royce, again, you know, touting his knowledge here of uh, old Golden Age comics, and he's uh, working it in. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's it's really great. So Billy, I want to ask you something though. What did you think specifically about this character, the Star Smasher? Um, I mean, he, visually he looks a little bit silly. I mean, he's this really tall guy, right? This this what eight foot, uh, nine foot tall giant with these mm-hmm. weird eyes. You know, it's like um, red pupils. Uh, you know, set in black orbs. He's got this crazy ass helmet, which he almost never wears. He only carries it with him, and then he's got a flag with this <laughs> Egyptian symbol on it, or the symbol that that uh, Hawkman would recognize later on. And mm-hmm. then uh, you know this flying eyeship. What do you think about this guy's design by Adrian Gonzalez? Uh, I like it quite a bit. It looks very you know alien. You know, it kind of like sort of a little bit reminds me of. Whatever the heck those guys were called in that alien movie Prometheus, he's just like a little thinner, but he's not as bulky as they were. They were kind of like very muscular. Yeah, what were they called the, en- the engineers? engineers. Yeah, just the engineers. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah, super he's... tall. Like he kind of reminds me of that a little bit. That's a good point. Yeah, he's reminiscent of that. He's definitely on their power level, or arguably more powerful than them, because um, you know mm-hmm. he seems to be able to manipulate energy, you know, in a way to mm-hmm. to shut down. Uh, machines and even you know if you think about the human body as a machine he even organically shuts down some of the all-stars in the next Mm -hmm. issue not just commander steel and robot man because at first it appears that he's only got this effect on our you know technology he you know um, flies near a bomber squadron which ted knight Mm -hmm. is a part of and um, that part's great because ted is having this conversation that you and i had uh, in an, a previous episode, Billy, where, you know, of course, these members of the Justice Society who are good at flying, it's it's weird that now they have to start as Tyros in the Air Force, <laughs> you know, like Hawkman <laughs> and Ted Knight, because, you know, they're, they've been flying mm-hmm. all their lives, mm-hmm. but not in an aircraft. And now they have to, you know, learn how to fly all over again, but just in a different form, you know, of, of flying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is mentioned that, you know, in fact, he took to flying very quickly. But then I was disappointed that it was not, in fact, because he was good at flying an aircraft. It was because he called in a favor. Ted Knight <laughs> called in a favor from from FDR, right, saying that, hey, can't you mm-hmm. fast track me through Air, Air Force training because I want to be in the battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his co-pilot even remarks about that, like, I don't know how you got through so fast there, buddy. And he's just like, uh, yeah, me neither. All right, let's keep going here. <laughs> yeah, well, basically what he th- what he's thinking in the thought bubble that Roy puts there, right, Billy, is, oh, my, <clears throat> the guy, my, my, my co-pilot is probably thinking that it was because of my fortune, my, my money, my wealth that I got fast-tracked. Yeah. But it, in fact, it's because I called it a favor <laughs> from FDR because I'm a superhero secretly. <laughs> that's that's uh-huh. just as bad, maybe even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But um, it's funny. But you know, if you think about Ted Knight being on the front lines uh, in a in a bomber and then still having his gravity rod near at hand, that's kind of effective, you know, Billy. That helps because well, it helps in this case. He saves the aircraft from plummeting, right? Uh, another mm-hmm. aircraft, um, you know. So he basically uh, leaves in midair while while he's a pilot. He says he wants a better view of whatever's attacking them. And then mm-hmm. he dons his Starman suit and jumps out of the 
the bomber and then he starts mm-hmm. uh, you know helping these planes who are now you know powerless and then falling out of the sky and uh, Hawkman yeah. shows up and you know they have a bit of a mini Justice Society reunion and then Starman rejoins the aircraft with Hawkman in pursuit but Billy something happens like you mentioned this briefly in the synopsis some something falls from the eye this is an interesting development this is something that I <laughs> I didn't understand when I first read it. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know what that that was all about. Um, at first, I thought it was just someone who was abduct, ab, ab, abducted <laughs> by the eye, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know, it's a dead body that falls from the from the eye, and then Hawkman catches mm-hmm. it, and he ends up recognizing this guy. That was a bit of a weird twist, and it only becomes apparent uh, why this is at in the second issue of this mm-hmm. run of this of the storyline issue eleven. Yeah, but, but what do you think about that? That was weird. It's really yeah, crazy. that was crazy. Like you said at first, I was just like, "What is going on here? Is this guy did he, you know, was he abducted and escaped, or well, you know, was he probed? Who knows what happened to this guy? But he's dead, and Hawkman pretty much says as much. So, we're like you said, we'll find out about him in the next issue. But yeah, at first it was it was a good little mystery. Not only well, what's going on with this alien, but this dead guy as well. It's a good little mystery. It it gets a little bit clunky though. I'll I'll let you know why later when we we discuss. Because listeners, there's <laughs> a secret which, if you've read the issues, you you would probably know it's related to Hawkman. Um, you know how Hawkman is connected to this eye, this flying UFO, and this Star Smasher guy. Uh, but you know I can't talk about it now because we want to get there once we do the next issue. So I'll try to get there as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. It won't leave you in the dark too long. But, you know, Billy, <laughs> if you take that secret into account, then this is actually like throwing Hawkman a bone or throwing him a clue. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way that the, the, the enemy behind the Star Smasher would have known that Hawkman would recognize this dead body that he caught plummeting from right. his eye. But, you know, Billy, I, I like the fact that Roy, again, put some historical things in there. It actually happened in, in on Earth Prime <laughs> in our time. Uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, FDR did surprise Churchill. Or actually, it was FDR who was surprised when Churchill came out of the shower half naked. Because, uh, <laughs> it really, when, when he was staying at the White House in early January of 1942, um, FDR showed up in Churchill's room to talk to him about something. And then, you know, Churchill <laughs> exited the bathroom with a towel wrapped around him. And then FDR was embarrassed, you know, but Churchill was not because he, in fact, said the same lines he said in the comic, which is the prime minister of Great Britain has nothing to hide from the president of the United States. (laughs) He really said those words. But in this case, I mean, he should have been embarrassed because after all, Liberty Bell (laughs) accompanied him. And who who was the other all-star? Let me quickly get to that page. Al Pratt. Al Pratt, the Adam. Yeah. 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 So um, and like, then, they were both like, dude, really? Come on. <laughs> and Liberty Bell says, oh, she's not going to blush. But then eventually she does blush <laughs> mm-hmm. once she has a, a chance. And Al comments on, oh, this is a historical moment, Liberty Bell. How does it feel witnessing history in the making? <laughs> she's just like, oh, I'm just trying to hide my blush. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, a great bit of humor from Roy. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I like the fact that, you know, you kind of learn, you know, about these things in uh, as he writes, as you read the comic. And that's how you learn a bit of history as well. Yeah. Although it's doubtful that a lot of the readers at the time might have known that this is exactly what happened, you know. But, you know, it is. I think it's mm-hmm. mentioned in, in some of the letter columns too, uh, the subsequent uh, letters. So, you know, Billy, great issue. Uh, lots of action. 
Although, you know, I must admit the action here is is clearly one-sided. You know, there's basically it, this issue just sets up the power of this um, alien invader. Um, basically, everybody who encounters him is is knocked down for the count, right? Um, yeah. It doesn't matter if it's the All Stars or the soldiers that you know it takes on the Air Force. And so the, this thing is presented as an overwhelming force that cannot be defeated even by the mightiest on Earth, save perhaps for, you know, the full complement of the Justice Society. I mean, if the Spectre was here, this would have been solved in no time flat. <laughs> Dr. Fate maybe too, you know, uh, Superman, who knows. But um, right now, the All-Star Squadron is firmly, you know, this roster, mm-hmm. uh, which is... Um, which is the way I like it because you don't always want a character who's so, you know, overpowered to step in and save the day. Deus Ex Machina, right, Billy? And that's what 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 bugged me about the early Justice League stories from the Silver Age. You know, um, mm-hmm. um, I love them. I I love those stories. But you know, you have characters like Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter. You know their power set, and then they they don't always use those powers to the full extent even the flash and green lantern you know they get their team yeah. but they don't they get captured so easily at some points in time when you think like what this doesn't make sense you know so but you know that's just me nitpicking um i like the fact that roy with this cast of all stars has them at the power level where this is believable you know they there are threats that they can't overcome simply on power level alone they have to do some sleuthing you know some investigative mm-hmm work they have to apply their intellects and that's what makes this great and and mm-hmm. think about it, all those golden age heroes were actually sort of they were detectives i'm not not just right. talking about batman but dr midnight in the issues here appeared in the golden age even hawkman they sometimes had to follow clues gardner fox was all about that you know he was like about writing mm-hmm. these interesting storylines which could be like a puzzle that the reader has to to put together um, you know, it's like a, Sherlock, a, a, a mini Sherlock Holmes <laughs> story. So I, I, that that's what's on full display in these two issues. And I like that. I like that Roy Thomas sort of did that. I don't know if he did that consciously to pay homage to writers like Gardner Fox, but he might have. But um, there's definitely a mystery here that needs to be solved. And uh, Hawkman's the one to do it. You know, he's the one who started. He gets the first piece of the puzzle with that dead guy falling from the mm-hmm. eye. And then they start putting things together. And it's it's a very satisfying puzzle too. It's not silly or 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 derivative in the least. I found it to be even though there was some things that you wouldn't expect. There's no way you could see the the enemy coming, right? Billy, the, the who turned out to be the the mastermind behind this whole Star Smasher thing. You, I didn't see that. I mean, I didn't even know the guy at the time that I read it, but Golden Age readers might have. Yeah, so, for so, but sure. are there any like panels or action sequences or bits of art that stand out to you in this well, uh, the issue? Well, the first thing I will say is, as soon as you open the first page, on the left-hand side, the inside cover is an advertisement for the Swamp Thing movie, which you know I love. Yes. Um, oh, same. And it has that awesome movie poster there. I'm not sure who did the art for that one, but it looks kind of familiar. But it's a really good poster, so that's awesome there. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's on page three where you see the eye for the first time, you know, UFO flying in and start zapping the, the B-17 bomber squad. It's like a half page spread. And I really like that one quite a bit. That's that's a really cool scene there. That's one of my favorites. 
probably my favorite of the whole book to be honest with you that is a pretty good scene i i also like the fact yeah i i'm on that page right now it's on page three right um mm -hmm. where the eye attacks the bomber squadron man that's a great uh, pencil page by gonzalez there and then um you've got starman donning his suit well he he's he he kept his suit on underneath his bomber <laughs> jacket right it's pretty cool it must be yeah. quite hot but he even says like it's better than thermal underwear or something like that <laughs> better insulated anyway <laughs> and i mm -hmm. like starman you know he's got a great visual look for a classic golden age character you know um mm -hmm. And then he, there's this, again, a nice uh, big panel of Starman when he saves this aircraft that's plummeting, right, Billy, on page five. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. you know, uh, Hawkman catches that, that dead guy who's dressed in a kind of a spacesuit <laughs> or, or some kind of a, I don't know what you call that, a leotard, a, you know, spandex. Looks like Quicksilver. Yeah, it almost <laughs> looks like Quicksilver. He's got the hair, you know, the, the, the white, the silver hair. So, yeah, funny. <laughs> and then, you know, what I like is Johnny uh, Quick, he's he's making a habit of saving America's uh, national monuments, right? Basically, he's like uh, commenting on that. They, he, he and Robot Man saved the Statue of Liberty early on in All-Star Squadron. And now he's saving the Washington Monument from these saboteurs who want to blow it up, right? And believe that's mm -hmm. a great sequence showcasing his speed. I mean, they also call him by his his nicknames here the king of speed right the master of motion i kind of like that mm -hmm. stuff you know i always liked it when they called superman like the man of tomorrow or you know um that kind of thing the metropolis mm -hmm. marvel uh there's this great sequence where johnny quick has to he beats up the saboteurs well he gets beaten up as well you know he gets like uh, they get him with a cheap shot mm -hmm. from behind and then uh th <laughs> these guys are all german they keep sprouting like germans but they're using english <laughs> <laughs> and then they pepper it with German. You know, it's like, well, what's a good... Uh, here's one. Was ist das? A masked man? <laughs> Why not just keep speaking German, dude? <laughs> That's and, Len, the editor, doing the translating for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he helps us along. He Well, he probably wants to give Johnny Quick a fair warning here because he says, Mach schnell! Fire! <laughs> and then Johnny <laughs> clocks them and he gets clocked in turn and then luckily he wakes up in time so mm -hmm. he runs down from the top of the washington monument uh, there's this great scene where he, he runs down the staircases while this guy is depressing the lever on this uh detonator right billy yeah plunger and the plunger and then he's he's pressing it on johnny's he makes it in time just as the plunger goes down and then he kicks <laughs> now the shining knight <laughs> And Hulk Girl, they, they're late to the party because this has all been happening at super speed, right? <laughs> they just yeah. get to the the entrance, you know, uh, on the, the bottom floor, on the ground floor of the Washington Monument when Johnny's kicking these these bundles of dynamite past Sir Justin. <laughs> and Johnny's saying, feet, do your stuff. And Sir Justin doesn't know what's going on. He's like, hey? Eh? <laughs> and then a German in the background, Himmel, <laughs> Batum. <laughs> Yep. Oh, and then Justin and Hope will beat up the rest of them. But that's a great mm -hmm. bit of Johnny Quick-isms uh, there. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't always... I mean, I like Johnny Quick as a character, but he's never going to be Jay Garrick for me. I'm always going to be a Golden Age Flash fan, first and foremost. But in the pages for All-Star Squadron, Johnny Quick, even though he's annoying, you know, he grows mm -hmm. on you a little bit, right, Billy? He does. He does, yeah. Yeah, there's this sequence later on where he gets really insecure about his relationship with 
Liberty Bell. I mean, later on in, in the, the run of All-Star Squadron, not in this comic, but I think it happens in the mid-20s when there's this, this, this bit where he's worried that she's falling for Superman. <laughs> and then he's like, what, what, what is a guy with just a speed formula compared to like a, a man-god like Superman? <laughs> and then he gets all like... Yeah. He gets, you know, he really gets so insecure. You kind of like start to dislike him a little bit. But, you know, Liberty Bell actually does really have feelings for the guy. She loves the guy. I mean, eventually, you know, we all know what happens. They get married. and But, um, you know, she he's annoying. <laughs> right, Billy? What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. He can be a knucklehead. He's one of those like almost like a lovable loser type guy. You like him, you know? Yeah, kind of how Johnny Quick is for me. He is, yeah, he's he's like that, and you know, he's an ace photographer. So you know, he's got skills other than running. I mean, mm-hmm. he was he made a name for himself. Liberty Bell was more famous than him. I mean, arguably, Liberty Bell is more f- the only all star who's more famous in her civilian persona than you know she is as a superhero, right, Billy? Because she's a very right. new new superhero. She's new on the scene. But Johnny Quick and and mm-hmm. all of the rest, they've been established as heroes. You know, so they're well better oh, yeah. known by the public, I would say. Although Liberty Bell's probably now very well known now that the All Star Squadron's been made official, you know, by mm-hmm. FDR. But you know, believe this this great scene too featuring Doctor Midnight. Now this is good on Roy Thomas's part. He's not content to just let the JSAers, you know, be. You know, he wants to use them still in stories. In fact, I mean, mm-hmm. he always Hawkman is arguably Tom, Roy Thomas's favorite because even though we only saw him briefly in the previous issue, remember issue nine, uh, yeah. just on a telephone conversation, right, hanging from a telephone <laughs> pole, Roy made a, he wanted to use Hawkman in every single issue. He made a a, a yeah. real effort to put Carter Hall in, and I like that. I like Hawkman too. But Doctor Midnight here, he shows up, and we got some great action from him. You know, he's mm-hmm. working on developing a cure for uh you know this um uh i think what, what tropical is it fever. tropical fever they mentioned right with along mm-hmm. with his nurse who in fact his nurse assistant doesn't know who he is right he he in fact has mm-hmm. to ditch her here when everything gets blacked out you know um and then uh, of course this doesn't affect uh, the doc he can see in total darkness and him and hoodie they go to see what's happening and then they can't do much, right, Billy? Because he's not one of the most powerful heroes. But when mm-hmm. this Japanese pilot who's been attacking some of the American <laughs> fighters above this this atoll where they're working on gets, uh, well, he has to to eject himself from, you know, because his plane is uh, crash landing. So the mm-hmm. doc takes him out. <laughs> Yankee pig! And then doc says, they didn't teach me much Japanese back in medical school, friend. <laughs> Suck! <laughs> he punches him out. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I love a bit of uh, JSA action every now and then. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we've got oh, yeah. more scenes of, you know, devastation. We've got a great scene of of uh, Commander Steel and Robot Man doing some bonding. They they say that, you know, both of them are basically scientists. They've got a lot in common, right, Billy? Uh, Commander mm-hmm. Steel and Robot Man. And this is the start of their friendship, which always gives me a bit of a warm feeling in my heart because I love these two as a, as a team. And Brandy's mm-hmm. with them, or... As we should say, uh, Firebrand. Who was it? One of our, our our listeners was it Martin? Martin said he hates that they call her Brandy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Brandy's something you drink. It's not it's not a name you give someone, right? <laughs> Danette. We'll call her 
Danette or M- Miss Miss Riley. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I'll just call mm-hmm. her Danette. I wonder what Sir Justin calls her. He normally calls her Lass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think Brandy or Firebrand's better than Lass, but I don't know. Maybe Damn. she doesn't seem to mind either way. <laughs> nah. Well, she's pulling her weight here, so she doesn't really care. I mean, there's the sequence of, of her accompanying Commander Steel after he's given, you know, the medical AOK by Robot Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he dons his uh, steel mesh, you know, uniform. And they mm-hmm. walk down the hallway together. There, Brandy asks them to escort her, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, yeah. they're both like, you know, she, she hooks uh, into both of their arms and they walk down this hallway. And then, you know, I, I was thinking this is a weird scene because... Uh, Commander Steel says, anyway, Brandy, would you care to accompany a couple of men of steel out in the cold morning air? And then this part's funny because Brandy could melt both of these guys in their tracks, right? <laughs> Being made of steel is not safe around this girl. Luckily, she's got like unnatural control over her abilities, right, Billy? So, right. Yeah. And then they both collapse because of that effect that the mm-hmm. the flying eye has on it's basically all circuitry at this point in time, right, Billy? And Robot Man almost dies because his brain needs the power of his body to run, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, and then they, they encounter the Spaceman and and um, this mm-hmm. force shield effect that his light has. It's a great final page spread. What do you think there, Billy? The splash panel, the splash page actually on the final page, of page 24, where um, Akhet, the Star Smasher, shows up on the White House lawn. You know, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you, you really get the feeling of, oh man, this is something that's going to tax uh, task these All-Star Squadron members to the fullest. Uh, so, Billy, the final thing is the fact file. I quite like this fact file. Mm-hmm. What did you think? These fact files that Roy you know puts at the end, it's, it's pretty great. For, because most of the people, probably the kids reading it at this time, they didn't know a lot about these JSA or so. What did you think about this fact file? Oh, I love it. You know, this one has uh, Starman, Liberty Bell, and the Atom. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's it's a cool little thing. It just kind of says, like, you know, their name, their alter ego, their appearances, and a little bit of origin and powers about them. Uh, but I love it. You know, it's just a little illustration, like one-third for, of the page for each of them. But I love them because, like I said, they're super cool. Like, if you're just reading this for the first time even now, you know, because I'm not, you know, very steeped in D.C., so this is super cool, even for somebody like me to get to read this to see, oh, well, this is where they, you know, their origin and this is where they appeared in their first appearance, last appearance and stuff like that. So I love it because, like I said, I'm not really up on a lot of DC, especially Golden Age stuff. So it's awesome to read about this stuff. Yeah, um, I think, you know, if two things that, that can really help you along with the Golden Age heroes, um, other than buying the very early appearances, of course, is if you do read Who's Who. You know, believe the Who's Who series that they published mm-hmm. in 1985 onwards. Um, and speaking about Martin Gray, you know, um, he recently posted a review of the Who's Who Volume 1 Omnibus uh, that DC mm. released uh, last week or two weeks yeah. ago. And, um, you know, Who's Who is great because they've got most of the members of the All-Star Squadron in there and a lot of their villains. And, of course, all of these villains are Justice Society villains uh, in effect. But, you know, they've got mm-hmm. the newer members in there too, the newer... Uh, villains that appeared later on that was not a part of the golden age was roy's creation you know um so i would say you know pick up that omnibus if you can't find the 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 issues and read mart's uh, martin's blog um yeah martin would probably be offended if i call him mart <laughs> i mean brandy <laughs> no i'm not gonna go that route martin wrote this great review 
of um, the Who's Who Omnibus on his site, uh, Too Dangerous for a Girl. Mm-hmm. So on his blog. So uh, read that. And then, you know, Billy, that's a great way to get more about the characters. But here it, it's enough. I mean, they Roy has some special notes here at the end. Starman's special note is just about, you know, him changing his gravity rod's powers and then he rechristened it the Cosmic Rod, you know, which mm-hmm. is interesting. But then Liberty Bell is where I got the factoid from that I mentioned earlier, that she was the, her special note is she's the only all-star who's more famous in her civilian alter ego than she is in costume. Mm-hmm. And we've got the, her running on the on the picture that Gonzalez drew, um, or Rich Buckler actually drew this uh, uh, along with Jerry Ordway. She's ringing mm-hmm. a giant bell as she's running <laughs> towards something. <laughs> and then the Adam... This is interesting, Billy. I never knew this, but it says in his special note that he appeared in more Justice Society stories than any hero except Hawkman. Mm-hmm. So could he have been considered a favorite of Gar- Gardner Fox? Maybe all the characters Gardner Fox wrote was a favorite of his, but still, you know, or of the writers doing the Justice Society, possibly, mm-hmm. because I, I kind of like the Adam too, you know. Um, I've, yeah. got, I've got an action figure of his, um, you know, which which looks great. And um, I've always liked the look. Just that, that weird cowl mask of his, along with these massive wrist guards that he sports. It's just kind of cool with these red boots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. You know, even though he has no mm-hmm. powers at this point in time, he's, he's like an interesting character for me, visually and uh, conceptually, you know. This little boxer dude. Yeah. So, Billy, mm-hmm. a great issue, man. I, I agree that. Any final th- uh, thoughts on this one? No, not really. Like you said, just really good issue, really good setup, a lot of fun, and the artwork. I mean, Gonzalez and Ordway is just—it's out of this world. It's fantastic yeah, artwork. We'll talk about the uh, the covers again at the end of of our discussion of both issues, and then we'll compare which issue was the best. But really, this is one continuous storyline, Billy. So you kind of have to read mm-hmm. it like that. It's hard to pinpoint which issue is better, but mm-hmm. you know, this one uh, that I'm going to be talking about here, giving the synopsis for All Star Squadron. Uh, issue 11 this was one of my uh, sentimental favorites from uh, back in the day I don't know why I read this one more than than most uh, other than uh, all-star squadron issue 20 which is my my favorite right this Mm -hmm. one I read a lot too I don't exactly know why I just liked all the events in this this particular comic so you know I I really can't put my finger on why but I remember the panels and the dialogue from this issue better than than you know other issues so mm-hmm. this is uh, all-star squadron like i mentioned issue 11 um cover dated july 1982 on sale april 29th 1982 again 60 cents 32 pages edited by len ween cover art again by joe kubert so we're really being spoiled here right believe two issues in a row again joe kubert on art and he would do most of the covers of these early issues of all-star squadron and then mm-hmm. writer Roy Thomas, Gonzalez on pencils, Ordway on inks, lettered by Ben Oda and colored by Carl Gafford. Um, and basically all the characters that appeared in the first uh, in the, the first part of the story reappear. So I believe you've got, mm-hmm. um, you know, Liberty Bell, Robot Man, Firebrand, Commander Steel. You've got the Atom, Hawk Girl, Hawkman and the Shining Knight. And then, of course, Roosevelt and, and Churchill show up again. So I'm going to hit mm-hmm. straight on into my synopsis here. After listening to the alien Akhet demand surrender from the United States, the All-Star Squadron decide to attack. But they are easily defeated, and Akhet takes the unconscious Hawkgirl Atom 
Commander Steel and Robot Man as hostages aboard his Flying Eye. And then after decimating the local air force, the Flying Eye ship flies to Japan, Italy, China, Russia, and eventually Germany to deliver the same message it gave at the White House, which is surrender or face extermination. Then Hawkman shows up in Washington, and he's almost shot down like a pheasant by trigger-happy GIs on the White House lawn. <laughs> the All-Stars, Roosevelt and Churchill, are at a loss for what to do, but Hawkman, having discerned the identity of the dead man ejected from the eye in the previous issue, believes that there is a connection between the Star Smasher and a secret government brain trust, of whose members all had disappeared over the last nine years, the All-Stars, after doing some investigative work, courtesy of Johnny Quick Superspeed, head to the home of one Alwood Napier, one of the last of the missing scientists of the aforementioned Brain Trust. And Hawkman recognizes an ominous face in one of Napier's photos. Then we cut to the Flying Eye, where the Atom and Hawk Girl come to and sneak around until they encounter a depowered Akhet. After they beat him up, <laughs> they find Robot Man and Steel <laughs> tied up with some other scientists in giant tubes. Hawk Girl recognizes the man behind the flying eye as one Anton Haster, Hawkman's very first foe. Mm -hmm. And that's it for the synopsis of issue 11. So, Billy, your turn. What did you think of this issue? I loved it. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. You kind of you, you kind of alluded to it earlier where I mean seeing uh this, you know, like quote unquote alien guy kick the crap out of pretty much the all star squadron and every soldier uh was crazy. But then on top of that, when he goes to all the other world leaders too and tells them how it is, that is I you know, you gotta love, you know, <laughs> Hitler and these other guys being told how it is and well I'll tell you the, the likenesses for Gonzalez and order man they did a great job with these other world leaders i mean like you said you you named them off already it's fantastic but oh when the end comes and hawk girl and al pratt you know the atom are stuck in that ship and they kind of find their way around and then find the the depowered akhet and then all of a sudden they're like wait a minute there's somebody behind us and <laughs> dr haster says not just somebody you moronic slab of adolescent muscle <laughs> Greatest Ralph. insult ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, geez, man, does he really need to go there? Like, wow, he's rough. So, yeah, good issue. And like you said, it's it doesn't even end there. It's going to keep going into the next <clears throat> issue as well till it ends. But at least now you realize, you know, part of what's going on. At least it's the, the, the mystery is like halfway unfolded. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you know, this issue starts with a little quote, this time from a Japanese poem. Uh, entitled Remember December 8th um, and it says this day world history has begun anew and it's kind of true in this case you know Billy because uh, after all this is the first alien encounter um, well uh, probably not the first Superman might, <laughs> might be the first alien encounter <laughs> or, or you know but um, in terms of an official encounter between the government and an alien you know, mm -hmm. sort of an alien diplomat, if you want to call him that. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, a conqueror more. You know, this is like uh, the, f the the first day of when, you know, hum humanity will probably 
remember this day, you know. But, you know, this is just par for the course for the folks of Earth 2. <laughs> you know, they've seen so many crazy things. This this won't won't phase them a bit, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, a little bit of an apt poem. I think the previous issue also had a bit of a quote in the beginning. I think it was by it, Franklin Roosevelt, right, Billy? It, it did, yeah. I can read that one if you want. This one says, The militarists of Berlin and Tokyo started this war, but right. the massed angered forces of common humanity will finish it. Right, 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 right. In interesting quote, too. It's mm -hmm. just more of the same, really, of, uh, you know, what we've been given, you know, in mm -hmm. speeches on previous issues, too. Just, we will prevail. <clears throat> but this time around, you know, it, uh, the quote is by the Axis, you know, from a Japanese poem. So, one of the antagonists. And this is kind of appropriate, because after all, the, the, the all-stars are on the back foot now, right, Billy? They're being pressed hard here. They're being defeated mm -hmm. uh, right and left. And uh, this is now an ominous type of poem, you know, because this is now the All-Stars facing uh, a power that they can't, well, possibly won't be able to overcome. And, you know, I like the fact that the Star Smasher, Akhet, he calls his uh, uh, society or the, 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 the ruling class from his universe the Binary Brotherhood, which is which is interesting, mm -hmm. really. And then... Um, you yeah. Know, uh, okay. It's true that you know Gonzalez does a great job with faces here, but there's a lot of photo referencing going on. I, I know. I think it was also again Martin commenting that you know it's too much photo referencing with Churchill, which is kind of true, you know. But um, I do like it that Gonzalez kind of uh, gives his own take on how Hitler looks and how you know mm -hmm. Stalin and Mussolini look. They, there's a little bit of photo referencing there, but, you know, it's more of his own penciling. So, yeah, maybe if he did that with Churchill, we would have gotten a more unique look. Uh, but for, right. mo for the most part, Churchill is spot on, right? Now, Billy, I want to oh, yeah. draw your attention to page eight. That amazing single-page splash of the, the, the flying eye taking out the U.S. Air Force. Mm. And Sir Justin's there. He's basically left stranded in, in midair by the speed of this this flying craft. What do you think about this page? Oh yeah, that is you know, if you could pick one page out of every every book, this is definitely the page here. And again, it involves the eye and more uh planes, but oh, it looks absolutely fantastic because you know, you have a planes probably like at least half a dozen or more planes. Sir Justin's flying around on his horse and then there's black smoke billowing out from three or four, at least, of the planes as well, with the eye blasting away with this like laser beam. Oh, it's incredible! I mean, you took if you take the eye away, it would be great just as a, you know, a, a fairly accurate. Well, I guess Sir Justin too. If you remove those two things, <laughs> it's a, it would be a pretty good, you know, almost like something you'd see from a Cubert war comic or Sam mm. Landsman or someone like that. But you know, you add in that. And it makes it perfect for, you know, Roy Thomas and this all-star squadron. Mm, yeah, that's perfect. right, man. Think about it, Billy. You and I were both big fans of the DC anthology comic Weird War Tales. And uh, mm -hmm. basically, all of these early all-star squadron issues is like a weird war tale after another weird war tale after another weird war tale. I mean, this is literally a, a premise from a weird war tale comic with alien invasion in the midst of World War II. How do people deal mm -hmm. with it? You know, so... Mm -hmm. interesting not a lot of horror you know weird world tales were more horror but you know there was a lot of science fiction in there too so you know i, I like the fact too that you you know they they when they fly over uh germany they fly over berlin or the, the eye flies over berlin and you see the brandenburg gate 
you know, that was the very first time I learned, you know, when I was a kid about the Brandenburg Gate. And I looked mm-hmm. at, I remember I looked it up or asked my dad about it. And then, you know, these German landmarks fascinated me, especially if they were tied to World War II. Yeah. And, um, you know, then we have the Wolf's Lair, which is another location I was fascinated with because my dad told me about it, Hitler's bunker. And you have mm-hmm. Hitler scolding his generals just before the eye arrives because he's upset about <laughs> the Russian invasion, which is which is what was happening, probably happening at the time. He was very upset because, you know, Billy, he had um, expected since his Blitzkrieg uh, had gone so well in Western Europe, he had expected the same results uh, when they attacked uh, Russia in the east. And uh, they attacked in June of 1941, and now it's already January um, of 1942, and they still have not achieved a victory. And now the forces of the the German Wehrmacht are being slowed down by the Russian winter, which ultimately proved their downfall, right, Billy? They they were expecting Mm -hmm. a three-month campaign to to crack Russia like an egg, and it didn't happen just because Mm -hmm. of the vast numbers of people the Russians have that they could throw into the fray. And then, of oh, yeah. course, the, the things like, you know, lack of um, roads and uh, roadways and the scorched earth policy that the Russians who retreated had uh, mm-hmm. left presses little for the Germans to work with. And, you know, it's such a vast, um, you know, front, the Eastern Front, if you think about it, Billy. How, how do you do handle that entire front? And, um, you mm-hmm. know, the, the Germans learned that they were their hubris got the better of them because in fact uh, that that is one of the main things that was uh, pinpointed as Hitler's eventual downfall them attacking Russia mm-hmm. and uh, that that was he was literally biting off too much uh, you know that he could chew it's like you know if you think about uh, you're you're like a you know let's say a Neanderthal and you're at a Neanderthal restaurant and you're ordering a mammoth steak right Billy now you haven't even finished this <laughs> one steak now you order a couple of more mammoth steaks <laughs> That's literally mm-hmm. what you know it could be compared to because they they bit off more than they could chew, um, mm-hmm. and then you know of course the other thing that people point to historically as the downfall eventually of the Germans uh, of the Axis is when America entered the war. Mm-hmm. So um, you know you have the the Wolf's Lair, uh, you know you've you've got like um, uh, the the visual look of all of these world leaders, which at the time I wasn't sure exactly how many of them looked. You know, I saw some black and white photos of them in some of my dad's history books, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you've got a real life historical figure, General George C. Marshall, you know, and mm-hmm. this is in chapter two of, of the comic, uh, where right. he, you know, briefs the all stars on, on, you know, the sightings of the, the eye all over the world and what they could expect and how the Russians and the, you know, the even the Axis are, you know, uh, dealing with this. In fact, they want an alliance, like we mentioned earlier, Billy. Like they, they now this is the Watchman Protocol, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you can call yep. it that. Even the Watchman was published much later than this. This is basically what's going to happen. They want to make an alliance, so that they can, mm-hmm. you know, stand together to fight this alien threat. And Churchill, and especially Churchill, is reluctant to do that because, after all, he promised that he would never give in to even even having a treaty with the Germans. He would fight till the last Britain. And now he's in the position where FDR is saying we might have to consider uh, allying with the with the Axis powers to, you know, battle this new threat. Yeah. So, you know, um, George C. Marshall, actual historical figure, he would later become known for, you know, the Marshall plan, you know, of rebuilding, you know, Western Europe. Um so interesting, right, Billy? 
but mm-hmm. uh, that, yeah. that that uh, Roy used these historical figures, not just the leaders, but also these these generals and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I must ad- admit it was more President Truman's idea too. I think you know uh, to rebuild Western Europe, his plan, but it's it was known as the Marshall Plan after the war. So you know you've mm-hmm. got that, and then you've got Chapter Three, right, Billy? Well, in, at the end of Chapter Two, Hawkman shows up. Do you want to speak a little bit of, of of that? This is Hawkman sort of providing the much needed missing puzzle piece because they're stumped. They don't really know what to do. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the funny part is he shows up and the soldiers <laughs> start shooting at him because they're not sure what's going on, and the, the searchlight's out of commission. So then Firebrand, you know, uses her fire to light the sky up, and they're like, "Yo, calm down, stop, uh, stop shooting, it's Hawkman." But um, yeah, all of a sudden, like you said, he shows up, and he's just like, "Hey." You know, I ran into this uh, guy too, this uh, eye flying eye UFO, and then he said, uh, "Then I caught this, you know, old guy that died in my arms that fell out of the out of the starship," and he said he recognized him and knows he's, uh, you know, a scientist and says he recognizes the symbol, an alchemist symbol from the Middle Ages um, that this guy had on him, and it's also. Oh, you know, if you notice, it's a symbol on the flag of this crazy alien dude, too. Yeah, I got to correct something I said earlier, right, Billy? It's not an ancient Egyptian symbol, although you would understand why I, why I made that mistake <laughs> later. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is an alchem- alchemical symbol, meaning the spirit of the world. It's an mm-hmm. emblem. Uh, and, you know, this man that uh, Hawkman caught, um, he, he was a chemist, you know? So this is Hawkman putting the... The, he's doing a bit of detective work. In fact, he's done most of the detective work already. There's just one missing mm-hmm. piece that Johnny Quick will help him through, you know, uh, ransacking the FBI's files later at super speed will accomplish. But Hawkman mm-hmm. says that, yeah, he's discovered this one, this guy that he caught. He was one of the missing scientists, uh, of scientists missing from this brain trust that we mentioned in the synopsis. And there's been many over the years this particular mm-hmm. guy I caught was named Garrett Owens. He was a biochemist, and since 1933, him and a couple of his uh, peers have been reported missing. So this this is definitely part of the puzzle, and this is also, it, it definitely links to this Aisha, because after all, this Garrett Owens fell from the ship dead. Mm-hmm. So at first, you know, yeah. when I was reading this the first time, Billy, I thought, okay, alien abduction of our world scientists you know, uh, that's 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 ostensibly what it looks like now. But that's not, mm-hmm. in fact, what it's going to be. And then Chapter 3 opens with... Oh, wait, I first want to mention something. Billy, didn't you like the fact that when nobody knows who's flying towards the White House and, you know, they're lighting up the sky, Brandy thinks, or I should say Firebrand, she thinks it's Baron Blitzkrieg coming back for another crack at the president. <laughs> and she's all <laughs> yeah. ready for him. She's like, yeah. But then it turns out to be Hawkman. Mm-hmm. So then chapter three starts with uh, She-Ra, Sanders, Hawk Girl, and the Atom, Al Pratt, waking up in the bowels of this flying <laughs> eye ship. And then, you know, they're walking around trying to figure out where they are and they discover this crack. And She-Ra has this um, super strong knife, this dagger that she, you know, hid in her back, uh, in, in the hollow of one of her wings, as she says, that she picked up when she last visited Hawkman's place where he keeps all of his, his ancient weapons right his, his collection his what lair you, his lair yeah his man cave <laughs> he's mm-hmm. he's and roost. Then that's when she's 
switched out a mask for her, uh, a different yeah. one. Yeah, now this is Roy just, um, I think this was just a bit of fun that Roy was having. He wanted to, you know, even though this was not mm-hmm. all the masks that were available at the time to Hawkman that he was sporting, at least in the Golden Age, in this early year, year 1942, this is definitely some of the masks we're going to see him wear. And, and mm-hmm. Billy, you see the, the, the mask at the very end, which is the the one without the, the feathers on the head with just the hawk symbol at the front. It's it's like a mm-hmm. yellow mask with this red hawk logo on the on the front. That's the, the final mask that Hawkman would, in fact, wear during his, his final story arc uh, in mm. the Golden Age. So, yeah, before his retirement. So, you know, mm. it's this is Roy just showing that, the, you know, all of these masks Hawkman has designed. And we even see the classic one there, I believe it's not, if I'm not mistaken, which is the second mask, right? Second from the mm-hmm. left, which is uh, the way I normally uh, think of Hawkman from the Silver Age, at least the Joe Kubert Hawkman, although not, not completely, but you know, it's got the beak for a nose, but then the mouth is completely mm-hmm. uncovered, you know, so I like that, that Hawkman. But I also love this weird Hawkman mask from the Golden Age. What do you think about Hawkman's collection? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird, but yeah, I do like that second one in from the left as well, because I think the first time I ever saw Hawkman, which you know most of the heroes for me, um, was on the Super Friends television show, and I think that's the mask he wore there, isn't it? Yeah, it might have been. I mean, we didn't get the Super Friends. I watched it much later when I picked up some of the the bootleg copies here in Taiwan. We we never had the Super Friends when I was in South South Africa, you know. So I, I didn't mm-hmm. see Hawkman that way, but I think you're right. You know, I've, I have watched it since. And um, especially if you want to follow along with, you know, the Fire and Water Network, um, isn't it the, the show for all mankind, right, Billy? I think they do. Yes. Talking about the Super Friends and, and that's fun. So I kind of, because of that show, I had to find it somewhere. Now, you can find almost anything in Hong Kong and Taiwan bootlegged, which I, which I did. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed. <laughs> so you know, I've I have watched it since, but I, I would have loved to have watched that as a kid. But but this is a, I'm going off on a tangent here. I think you're right. It is definitely that mask. And then Shira even mentioned that she's sewn a couple of masks for Hawkman. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's pretty good with sewing. And then she even modifies one of the masks to to suit her because she's tired of the old mask. She's decided to 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 make a bit of a change. And then mm-hmm. she dons this new mask. And um, then she also, for some reason, grabs this dagger. Now, she doesn't know why. We will find out why later. That ties in with the whole Hawkman, Hawk Girl mythology of, you know, them being re- reincarnated Egyptians trapped mm-hmm. in this, this cycle of reincarnations by, the, by this ancient curse because of this nth metal dagger that Hawkman was stabbed with when he was Prince Khufu. Remember, Billy, in, the, mm-hmm. uh, in his Earth to Origin? So this ties in with mm-hmm. that. We'll find out more about this later. And then she heads off to join the All-Star Squadron with this dagger in her wing. And this now is the dagger who saves them because the Atom manages to use it as a lever to open this, uh, this circular door. And then mm-hmm. they head deeper into the, the ship. Now, while this is happening, Johnny Quick and them, they're, uh, they've already done their bit of detective work uh you know going through the fbi's files and they found the name of one of the final scientists that have disappeared uh mm-hmm. right Billy? and this guy's got an an interesting name don't you think i mean obviously it's it's quite a normal sounding name probably for me a south african this this is a a bit of a weird uh a name that the scientist sports 
uh, Elwood Napier. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, what, what do I know about names? But, you know, uh, this Elwood yeah. Napier guy, the scientist, he's, uh, he's got this mansion. He's apparently he's rich. They comment on that when they arrive. <clears throat> and he's a mathematician, right, Billy? So they show up at his place. They search it. He's a physio-mathematician, as they, as they state. And um, they have a look around. Hawkman lets them in by basically breaking and entering. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you, can't, you gotta love his, di- his dialogue there outside the window. Still, no sense skulking around out here like Lon Chaney. The window's <laughs> ajar. I'll let you in downstairs. <laughs> nice, Roy. Nice. Great. Very, very, you know, it's a not a dated reference, but it's an apt reference for, for 1942. Everybody would have seen The Wolf. Well, everybody would have known of Lon Chaney's earlier, you know, 1920s and 1930 movies, right? But he was a, a household mm-hmm. name in, in, in movies and horror. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, then they head in and they see all this. Uh, I mean, spider webs everywhere. Nobody's been here for for at least ten years. And they find this picture, and Hawkman recognizes uh, this group of scientists in the picture. He recognizes one face in particular, and that is the man we mentioned in the synopsis, Billy, the very first foe that Hawkman ever fought, a man mm-hmm. by the name of Doctor Haster, who is in mm-hmm. fact. I think we can go into it now. Hath set mm-hmm. the priest, the Egyptian priest, an enemy of Hawkman and Hawk Girl, who started the cycle of reincarnation when he murdered Hawkman when he was Prince Khufu in ancient Egypt and Princess Cheara, which was Shira's name, right? And he murdered mm-hmm. them with an uh, nth metal dagger, and that's what caused mm-hmm. the curse. Uh, that's what you know caused them to be reincarnated endlessly throughout time. And they're doomed to fall in love in every new life they have and then be killed by Hathset all over again. And, of course, this Anton Hester is his most recent incarnation, uh, the incarnation of Hathset. Mm-hmm. So this is where things get really interesting, Billy, right? Because this the last time we saw this guy was in Flash Comics number one, and that was in 19, what, November of 1939. You wow. know, I mean, the issues dated Flash Comics number one as... as 1940 but you know that's when it was on the stands and so you know this is Roy going really deep he's going way way back into Hawkman's you know very first villain here and uh, mm-hmm. Hawkman's original origin story so uh, interesting Billy I, this this threw me for a loop when I was a kid reading this because I wasn't expecting the Star Smasher to be tied to an Earth villain <laughs> you know but this is all just a setup. Yeah, by Anton Hester, but still, this this kind of I mean, this guy's got, you know, he's he's privy to technology that could literally help him to conquer the world, um, yeah. but yet he set up this whole elaborate scheme with this alien invader. Interesting mm-hmm. though, very very interesting story, and Hawkman pieces it together, and so that's that's basically where we're left at the end of this issue is with, you know them discovering this house you know this photo in Elwood Napier's house in his mansion and then uh, you know the photos mysteriously catch fire right Billy Mm -hmm. all the pictures in the house just start burning up you know Um, booby trap booby trapped yeah yeah. they don't want people to discover the secrets here Mm -hmm. which makes it all the more strange that you know um, the eye had hurled the dead body of Garrett Owens at Hawkman in the, in the previous issue because this is sort of like giving the game away but you know 
whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, villains do like to do that. Joker with Batman, the Riddler, you know, <laughs> this guy's on a similar uh, path, <laughs> I think. But, you know, then it cuts back to the spaceship where the Atom and, and Shira, Hawkgirl, encounter Ak- Akhit just standing there. And mm-hmm. then they take another crack at him and they easily overcome him, right, Billy? And he turns out to mm-hmm. be... Yeah, an automaton, like a, a robot. Well, the Ad- Adam calls him a mannequin, right? He's like a souped-up store mannequin, which is another great line. Mm-hmm. And then they discover this room where all the kidnapped scientists have been preserved in these tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, they look. It looks like blood vials, right? Believe these tubes. And Ro- yeah. mm-hmm. Robot Man and Commander Steel is there because they're scientists too, so that makes sense, at least according to the Adam. If anything does make sense here. And then the big bad himself shows up, right, Billy? Dressed in a really crazy costume, but I, I'm digging it. <laughs> and that is Dr. Anton Haster. Dr. Haster, the very first enemy Hawkman ever fought. And he ends the issue by saying, um, okay, Hawkgirl says he thought he was dead, you know, which in fact seemed to be the case in Flash Comics number one. And uh, Haster says, and you, dear lady, you're alive, a pair of roles I intend to reverse in the immediate future. <laughs> and then it ends with a great, you know, teaser for next issue with malice towards all. Now you think normally it's with goodwill towards all, right? This is with malice. Mm-hmm. Well, Roy had some pretty great titles for his stories. Mm-hmm. So believe me, oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's that's the issue. I don't know why I love this issue so much. I wouldn't say it's my second favorite. My second favorite would probably be when Rich Buckler returned to pit Shazam. Well, I should say the original Captain Marvel against Superman. I think that's issue mm-hmm. 36. But, you know, yeah. uh, that's my second favorite issue of All-Star Squadron. My, my favorite being issue 20 with, with Green Lantern spotlighted. But, you know, this issue is right up there. I don't know why I loved the art in this issue as a kid. I reread this issue endlessly. It's just so crazy. You don't know what's going on. You're trying to, to puzzle your way through, through what's happening. But mm-hmm. it's an enjoyable process. <laughs> so, Billy, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this this madhouse? <laughs> yeah, like we said, overall, great two issues. But one thing I totally glossed over in issue 10, where, you know, at the beginning of that issue uh, is when you saw Shaira have her new mask already. And since Johnny Quick is really horny, he says to her, by oh. the way, hot girl, did I tell you that you look swell in that new mask you dug up? Ugh. I mean, I I know we've got more important things on our minds these days, but a pretty face is supposed to be good for morale, right? <laughs> Damn, you and know, he's says, flirting with everybody. And, you know, kudos to Hawkgirl because she deflects his attentions nicely by reminding him of his affections mm-hmm. for Liberty Bell. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, Johnny Quick should mm-hmm. watch it, man. Even with his super speed, I wouldn't <laughs> want Hawkman mad at me damn mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah what's up yeah, with Johnny hilarious. Quick man the only thing he's a goon. Qu- yeah he's a goon the only thing quicker than you know than his speed is his mouth <laughs> the only thing mm-hmm. that runs faster than his feet I should say is his mouth damn it but um, mm-hmm. you know I, that's a good callback I, I completely forgot about that too This the, the horniness of Johnny <laughs> Quick and these issues and you know then <clears throat> Billy, this half-set guy, he's an interesting villain, you know, Dr. Anton Hester. Of course, more has been made of him now in modern day, you know, comics, I should say. It's right. been fleshed out. But back then, yeah, his first appearance was Flash Comics number one. And um, yeah, he was created by Gardner Fox, 
and I think mm-hmm. Dennis Neville, the, the the guy who penciled him in Flash Comics number one, way back okay. in nineteen forty <clears throat> or nineteen thirty nine, depending on. I mean, it, it the the issue was was on the uh, the the well, they didn't have spinner racks back then. Newsstands, I should say, right, Billy, in nineteen thirty nine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So you know, um, great villain. I kind of like his look, and I like the way uh, the, the fact that he's tied towards alchemy, but also ancient Egyptian magic, and he's got super science because that's what he had in his Flash Comics number one appearance. He was a scientist, you know, um, rather than mm-hmm. an Egyptian priest, which would traditionally rely on, in stories at least, on magic. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that he's the mastermind behind this all, and it, it's tied into Hawkman's past. So very interesting very enjoyable it really makes you want to read the next issue which we don't want to spoil now for folks mm-hmm. reading along with us but we know there's a couple of you listeners who've already of course read ahead or in your youth you know what's going to happen and I, i'm sure you'd agree that it's a kind of a satisfying uh, conclusion in issue 12 which we'll get to on the next episode right billy mm-hmm. yeah so, for sure yep overall some great bits now billy i want to ask you about the covers now two cubert covers both are great. Mm. Obviously, all Kubert covers are masterful. Which one's your favorite, and why? For me, it's ten, and it's not even close. Just because I love when somebody of you know Kubert's magnitude does a kind of like collage type cover, where you know you have that crazy UFO with the eyeball in the middle, and it's like almost shooting out laser beams in four different directions and then there's four sections with different things going on you see mm. johnny quick and hawk girl and uh sir justin with the uh saboteurs the sometimes we speak german sometimes we speak english saboteurs <laughs> and then down in the right hand corner you have firebrand and steel and robot man and you know you can you don't know what's going on with them they just look like they're in peril and then we see dr midnight and hootie which is awesome and they're, you know, fighting with the planes in the background. And the very top is the, the opening scene. You know, you have Starman and uh, Hawkman chasing down a, a plane that looks like it's going to crash. So, oh, awesome cover. The other one's cool, too, you know, with all the heroes trying to <laughs> jump on the alien. But then it already kind of gives it away that, you know, what the alien looks like, where there's a little bit more mystery in 10, you know, where you just see the, you know, the yeah. alien ship. So I like that one a bit better that, for that reason. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. Um, Ten is my favorite because of the light beam separating the cover into panels, and each panel showing mm-hmm. a different location, a different squad of the All Star Squadron, a different part of them. You know, um, mm-hmm. as these mini teams, which is what both issues are about, right? Believe the All Star Squadron is never together yeah. in full force as uh, one singular team. They're split into these. Um, squads <laughs> you know where they have to deal with different threats and it happens because of Akhet kidnapping some of them uh, initially but also for other reasons um and then you know i the only thing is you don't see a lot of i mean there's lots of detail uh, pertaining to the i ship um on the cover of issue 10 but you don't see a lot of uh, detail in the characters because they're penciled to be small obviously they have to be you know based on the how the cover was conceived but um i'm still going to pick that as my favorite cover cover the cover to issue 11 though is pretty great too because it's like the ultimate alien abduction scene think about mm-hmm. Billy, this one alien abducting a host of heroes being pulled up by this tractor beam to his spaceship and they can do nothing they're trying their best but he's just ignoring them it's like you know <laughs> a, a a strong kindergartner a kindergarten teacher 
you know, picking up these rowdy kindergartners who were involved in a fight and just carrying them off to wherever, <laughs> you know, the principal's office, you know, I don't know, mm -hmm. the, the storage room to, to, to get them a cool down period, who knows. But, you know, it, it's, you can really see the power of this guy uh, in this cover. And also Kubert's so great with faces and, and body postures and, you know, the, the movement of the characters depicted. It's, it's a pretty great cover as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm definitely going to have to go for cover 10, you know, the cover to issue 10. Yeah. So, Billy, other than that, um, two great issues. But like I say, it's a little bit of a weird episode, listeners. Maybe we should have done all three issues. But, you know, we really we're trying to keep it under an hour and a half. Right, Billy. And this would have taken us up to the two hour mark, I think, if we tackled issue three uh, or I should say uh, mm -hmm. issue 12, which has the third part of the storyline. So we're just mm -hmm. going to head straight on into Earth Prime Archive. <laughs> <laughs> but first, let's take a bit of a promo break uh, just to support the shows of our fellow podcasters out there who's been supporting us so generously. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's for all mankind, a super friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my super friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, back to Earth Prime Archive. And this time around, mm -hmm. I didn't prepare a lot, Billy. I thought I'd talk a little bit about the bombing campaigns, which was a big part of World War II, both on the Allied side and the Axis side. And the reason why is because in the beginning of, uh, at the start of issue 10, we see Ted Knight manning a bomber. And, um, you know, Hawkman's also joined the Air Force. Now, bombers, uh, they played a big role in World War II, not always as effective as most people would think. But of course, um, you know, 1945, when Little Boy and Fat Man were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the two atomic bombs that did uh, technically end the war against Japan and, in fact, World War II. Germany had already been defeated by then uh, by the combined forces of, you know, uh, Russia and the Western uh, powers. But, you know, Japan refused to surrender. The atomic bomb was the final nail in the coffin. So, yeah, yeah. that part was effective, if you think about it, but at a horrific cost. And we all know what that cost was based off of the atomic bombs and the after effects. So I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm going to be talking about is their bombing campaign a little bit. If you think about it, Billy, like bombers... They already played a significant part in World War One, um, where they, you know, would drop uh, poison gas canisters. Normally, the poison gas canisters and and shells, poison gas shells, were shot by artillery uh, artillery fire. But you know, um, it did happen that these uh, very early biplanes would fly over the trenches and drop, you know, uh, grenades and you know, uh, gas canisters and stuff like that. So that's where bombing sort of was born or birthed and in world war ii it sort of culminated into this uh, what you could actually call the ultimate horror because billy it started off with strategic bombing now strategic bombing is obviously the bombing of railroads transportation networks um uh, factories uh, and and the like uh, it wants to cripple the war economy 
basically. Now the problem they had in World War II is the intel was not always accurate and um, the bombing the bo bombs were not always accurate either. You know, they could drop a bomb from, from very high, it would not hit the target. And then, yeah. um, so strategic bombing was very tough. So at one point in the war, uh, the the Allies decided, well, Hitler, for instance, he always avoided bombing British cities in the in the start of, you know, the war because he wanted England to sue for peace with him, a separate peace, you know, a treaty uh, saying that they would, you know, uh, stay out of his way, basically, you know what I mean, Billy, but Churchill refused. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, he, he didn't really want to to demoralize or or to to make the British people hate him too much, you know, because he sort of respected Britain. In fact, Hitler took it as a very big blow when Britain declared war against him after he invaded Poland, you know. Um, mm -hmm. he, he, he really, not because he feared the British, but because he, he wanted England to side with him, sort of, you know, um, a little bit. And um, then, you know, he avoided at first the Luftwaffe under the command of Hermann Goering, my namesake, mm -hmm. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> horrible horrible um he uh they they um, enacted the strategic bombing campaign which the, where they would only bomb airfields but then believe the allies at one point in time the the british they sent some of their own bombers across europe and then they bombed some german cities uh of course mm -hmm. the factories they were aiming for but you know because the factories were located near or in cities at some point in time uh, citizens suffered and died and Hitler was obviously upset that the British would reach so deep into Europe to actually bomb him too so then after that he became incensed and, and, and angry and he decided there would be no mercy and then he sanctioned the bombing of cities like London and Liverpool mm -hmm. and Manchester and then specifically London was targeted heavily and uh, yeah. causing a lot of devastation it was called the Blitz and now, Billy, this is not strategic bombing anymore. This is now called conventional bombing, which is aimed at demoralizing a population with, uh -huh. with, with the, the idea that eventually the population would be so upset about this continuous bombardment and loss of life among what they view innocent you know, uh, civilians that they would uh, overthrow their own governments. You know what uh -huh. I mean, Billy? And then the government yeah. would have to relent and they would give up the war and sue for peace with the with the uh, attacking forces so that did not in fact happen the conventional bombing that germany perpetrated over england galvanized the population it, it made them even more um strident and and more supportive of churchill's rhetoric and his ultimate plan and they sort of uh, it, it it had the opposite effect um, that Germany had hoped. And then you had the Allies engaging in this conventional bombing too. At first, the strategic bombing was enacted, but now, Billy, the, the loss of life among air crews were so high that strategic bombing was not worth it. Listen to this. I mean, during the entire war, 51% of air crew were killed on operations, most of them from bombing missions because if you think about it, a bomber is heavy it's not very maneuverable it has to be defended by squadrons of fighter planes but it's very easy for anti-aircraft uh, guns to target a bomber once it's yeah. been spotted even if it's a night raid sometime and then Billy they they have all this ordnance on board they have all this these bombs that they have to drop because after all if the bombs have not been dropped yet and they get 
you know, strafed by uh, attacking German planes or attacking Zeros. If it's in the Pacific theater, then there would be a massive explosion. The bombs would detonate. The the, the 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 entire bomber would be lost the, the crew would be dead but you know if they had dropped the bombs and they were strafed then you know they they might still survive they might still be able to land somewhere uh, or effect repairs in midair even you know so that's yeah. the, they really wanted to drop the bombs they really wanted to get rid of the bombs and uh, because of their lack of maneuverability they were basically like a huge sitting duck up there in the air especially if they still had their their load of bombs they were easily killed off. And um, so 51% uh, of air crew were killed on operations. 12% were killed or wounded in accidents. 13% became prisoners of war. So Billy, what that means is only 24% of air crews survived World War II. Wow, um, the scary. Bombing, the bombing crew specifically. So it's very scary. And um, that's why they eventually decided that, you know, strategic bombing is not worth it because we send these boys out on these dangerous missions. They have little or nothing to show for it when they return. Let's let's go the other route. Let's do conventional bombing. And then we had some, you know, horrific scenes like the bombing of Dresden, the firebombing of Dresden. And, um, you know, all of this, these beautiful architectural sites being lost in, in, in Europe by the bombing campaigns of the Allies who literally just bombed cities like like the you know um you know dresden and berlin and hanover they would bomb them mercilessly and citizens would die you know they would level cities and the same was done in japan eventually even before the atomic mm-hmm. bombs were were deployed so i know believe there's this um this this kind of you have to kind of think about the moral stance you have to take like how far are you willing to go are you willing to make the civilian population suffer in order to meet your ends or are you willing to just take out military targets and uh, of course nowadays we only opt for military targets right Billy but then you didn't have the luxury to always do that so bombers were deployed to basically attack civilians and that was the mm-hmm. at least at the end of the war from 1943 to 1945 that's what they were the, the bombers were used for so reprehensible and I would say that a superhero like Ted Knight you know Starman would would have you know eventually probably gotten sick of that as we know he did not see out the entire war as a soldier but you know still you know having him along on a bombing run he probably able to prevent his crew from dying with the gravity rod like that but you know i think he would probably gotten sick of this because civilians would eventually be targeted and there's no way a justice society member would stand for something like that right billy yeah so yeah that's basically it for you know uh earth prime archive and a little bit about you know history of the the bombing campaigns so billy uh any feedback from our host of growing uh listeners i think well, we just wanted to definitely mention uh, our buddy Martin Gray. He's been, you know, a, a huge supporter of ours. And he did send in an email that talked about these two issues, but then it talked about the next issue as well. So we don't want to give anything away yet. So we're going to roll with his email um, in our next episode so we can talk about the issue first and then talk about his feedback, you know, in his email, which is great. And we thank Martin for it. He's, he's a good guy, real good guy. I mean, we have a lot of good supporters, and he's definitely the most vocal and the most uh, – the most, uh, I shouldn't say, exuberant <laughs> one of our uh, our uh, followers here. So thank you, Martin, for always listening in and uh, supporting the show. We appreciate that. 
Yeah, man. And like I say, um, if you guys, um, you listeners are up for it, um, check out his blog again, Too Dangerous for a Girl. It's at mm -hmm. dangermart.blogspot.com. And mm -hmm. uh, Mark's, Martin's also on Twitter. He's very active on Twitter. I think it's just at Mart Martin Gray, right? If I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. Billy. And then, yep. you know, um, yeah, uh, the Who's Who Omnibus, I'd rec definitely recommend that. I'm not going to be picking that up, Billy, because like I say, I'm kind of uh, reluctant to read these giant Omnibi. I do own several, but yeah, every time I read them, it's a little bit clunky for me. But um, apparently, according to Martin's blog, it's been done really well. And there's a lot of All-Star Squadron content in there. So um, check that out. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite images of Commander Steel as penciled by Jerry Ordway uh, in, I think, mm. issue five of Who's Who in the DC Universe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, wow, that's a great entry of on Commander Steel. In fact, all the All-Star Squadron entries in, in Who's Who is, is magnificent, but especially the ones done by Ordway. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So um, other than that, and Billy, yeah, that's that's it for us. I do want to give a shout out to the Fire and Water Network guys, Rob, um, Kelly, and Shag Matthews. They gave us a shout out on their recent episode of Justice Society Presents, the, the, the most recent one. And uh, you, all you listeners are probably already checking out that show. But if you're not, go over there, get get onto the Fire and Water Network feed and download those Justice Society Presents episodes. They're a blast. And uh, it's dealing a lot mm -hmm. with the, the, the team-ups of the Justice League and the Justice Society. The crisis on multiple Earths, as they were called. And um, it's a lot of fun, a blast. And I would recommend any and all of their shows but especially the Justice Society presents as it relates to our ass cast, <laughs> our world on fire. Yeah, I, I think. Say. Yeah, they're. I think they're eventually going to start talking about All Star Squadron as well. I'm not sure what the format will be for that, but yeah, for right now they have the that JSA and they're going through the the JSA JLA uh, team ups. So, which is super cool because I only read one of them um, since I'm more of a, a newer. Uh, DC guy so it's awesome getting to hear about him because you know some of them I'll probably never get to so it's great to hear those two guys and those two guys talking about anything is a blast because they're like they're almost like you would think they were brothers <laughs> the yeah. way they, they, they bust on each other but then they have a great rapport too as if they've been you know you would think they've known each other for you know 30 or 40 years but yeah, two good guys, and yeah, thank you big time for the shout-out. Yeah, well, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this, Billy. You and I, we both got, well, we were both introduced to the Fire & Water Network through Who's Who podcast, which Rob and Shag, in fact, helm, and mm -hmm. which they, they, they did in the past a lot more frequently when before they ran out of issues because they, they basically completed the, the run of Volume 1 and I think Volume 2, and they've even discussed Who's Who and the Legion of Superheroes, and I don't know if they've done Who's Who in Star Trek yet. They might have already. Uh, but you know mm -hmm. they've 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 they do the Who's Who podcast on the Fire and Water Network. That's how I was first introduced to Fire and Water Network, and then to Midnight the Podcasting Hour. That was my second show. But um, if you guys, since we talked about Who's Who, you, you listeners should definitely check out their Who's Who uh, podcast, which is fun. It's a blast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thanks mm -hmm. for those guys for for the shout out. We much appreciate it. Okay, Billy. So we've got another send off now. Martin did send in a send off, but I'm not going to read that without his permission. He, <laughs> I think that was a, a send off he just wanted us to privately read and laugh at. <laughs> it gets racy, folks. It gets really, really 
that yeah 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 that that i'm not going to read that without martin's permission so martin if you do give us permission i will read that it's a great <laughs> a great send-off uh, again in line with the big trouble in little china elevator scene send-off which we asked you listeners for but please send in some of them if you mm-hmm. if you want and we'll credit you as we read them but this week's billy is uh, one we wrote and uh, i'm gonna let you read the first bit and i will read the final line like Jack and Wong did it. So are you ready, Billy, <laughs> for our sin? I'm ready. Here we go. So here's to speed formulas and micromotors and the battles they have won. Here's to Sir Justin's vernacular. May it never cease to be fun. May the sun god Ra shrivel hath sets balls in the sun. And that's <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, a little bit of a crazy one. But hey, you know, without you guys sending stuff in, we're going to run out of material sooner or later. So please... <laughs> Anyway, so Billy, uh, yeah, man, a, a good one. It's been a lot of fun again talking um, some All-Star Squadron with you. But we'll be back in two weeks' time with issue 12 and 13 of mm-hmm. the AskCast, unofficially known as the AskCast, formerly known as the WAFCast, the world on fire. <laughs> so that's it for me. Take it easy, folks. All right, catch you next time, everybody. See ya. Thank you.